and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm thrilled to share a conversation I had with Jay Acunzo. He's someone whose podcasting work I've admired for a while, but not only that, he's a great thinker and speaker, and he's got a brand new book that I've been dying to get my hands on for a while called Break the Wheel. Question best practices, hone your intuition, and do your best work. And... Doing your best work is something that this show has been all about since the beginning. And so to go back to the first two pieces of that subtitle, questioning your best practices, honing your intuition, those are the things that we are going to talk about in this episode. We're going to talk about what best practices are. We're going to talk about how there's a status quo when it comes to, quote, best practices, as well as how to question them, even use some of them, but then also use some of them and flip them or do the opposite of them to your benefit, as well as honing your intuition, knowing what intuition actually is, honing it, and ultimately, as Jay says in this conversation, learn the skill and the art of mastering decision-making. This is a huge part of productivity. Mastering decision-making, knowing what to do, what next step to take, what actions to take, and even once you've taken actions, seeing whether something works or not, and then changing course or making new decisions. This is where the intuition comes in and honing it. So I know you're going to love this episode. I know that I did. I had a great time talking with Jay. So enjoy this conversation with Jay Acunzo. Well, this week, it is definitely my pleasure to bring to you and have a conversation with Jay Acunzo. Jay, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. It's always great to talk to a fellow nerd in the podcast space, by the way. Yes, and I think we need to continue that conversation that we were having about podcasting at some point here, because I'm still digging into... I don't know. There's there's so much room. Like it, It's funny, because every two, three years or so, somebody talks about... It's the it's now the glory days or the glory days are gone. One or the other, uh, according to, you know, regarding podcasting. And I'm like, really? Like, how many of these are we living through? You know, like, it's like it's like when people say that that phrase, it's the year of and then they insert something and uh, then they use it over and over again uh, every year. And I'm like, so which year is it this year for which thing? You know, it drives me nuts. <laughs> well, you know, I worked I worked in venture capital for three years and in tech before that. And we had I had a saying for all these copycat companies that would pitch us for funding where they'd be like, we're the Uber of X. Right. <laughs> right, right. And and it was the, the analogy is or the metaphor is when the wave crashes and the tide goes back out. In other words, when the trend is gone and, and it's no longer, you know, good times in the podcast world or whatever the trend is, the people who are left are the ones who really dug in to the fundamentals. Like they, they, they were like really into it, like stuck in there because because they cared about what mattered most, not because they were riding a wave. Yeah, exactly. They were the hardcore, like they got it. They're in it for the the craft of the thing, not the uh, the novelty of the thing. Right. You're not launching a podcast because that's what people are doing now. You launched a podcast because you're either trying to self-express, and so this is for you, or because you have a real strategy behind it for your audience. Yeah, exactly. And so inadvertently, I've just transitioned us into literally the topic of your brand new book, which has a lot to do with questioning these best practices. In fact, let's talk about what the title is, because the title is is interesting in and of itself. It's called Break the Wheel, Question Best Practices, Hone your intuition and do your best work. And that last part, do your best work, is what this show is all about in various forms when it comes to productivity, when it comes to all the different things that add up into productivity. This conversation, I assume, is going to be a lot more about 
strategy and kind of zigging and zagging instead of what everybody else is doing or what is assumed everybody should be doing. So that's why I really wanted to talk to you about this book. But we'll definitely talk about honing your intuition because I definitely want to go there. And we're going to start with the whole questioning best practices thing. But when I hear the term break the wheel, two different phrases come to mind. The if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And reinventing the wheel. Was that intentional? So I love that you went there because so I could I could definitely reason why both of those could apply, but it's actually from Game of Thrones. So see, and I'm not a Game of Thrones person. All right, well let me let me give you for for people who aren't. Uh, number one, congratulations on having a way more productive Thank life. Thank you. To the, to the theme of this show, <laughs> way more productive life than people like me that binge it, and I binged it twice because my wife caught up five seasons late. So yeah. So but but here is the the analogy. So in that show. Daenerys Targaryen is the mother of dragons and she's going to fly over this ocean with her dragons and save the kingdom of Westeros from all these ruling class families and and they just keep warring for the throne and she says that each of these families are just spokes on a wheel first one is on top then another and on and on the wheel spins and she says to fix this problem she's not going to stop the wheel she's going to and fellow nerds have already finished this phrase she's going to break the wheel now, Eric, we, we don't live in the fictional world of Westeros, which is a really, really good thing because <laughs> it's, it's very murdery there. But we have our own version of this wheel facing us at work every day, whether we're an individual creator like me, whether you work in-house for a large corporation or a small corporation, whether you're in services or you're selling a product, whatever you're doing for work, you face your own version of this wheel because we live in this era full of best practices and conventional thinking and trendy new tactics and each of those are just spokes on a wheel. You know, one is on top, then another, and it it just keeps spinning. And so we don't have to find a way to succeed on that wheel, clinging to a convention or glomming onto a trend or reaching out to every new thing that comes up. We have to break that wheel and think for ourselves because the point isn't to find best practices. The point is to find the best approach for you. And we've never really been taught how to do that, nor do we address that overtly enough in our work. So that's what I wanted to write this book about. Very cool. So number one, you, for the first time ever, have gotten me interested in Game of Thrones. Because the way that you described that actually made it made sense to me. I've always just been like, uh, it's just some fantasy. And don't get me wrong, I'm a Lord of the Rings person through and through. So yes. like, but it just never struck me as something. It struck me as like super complicated and lots of anyway i you know i'm gonna, i'm not going to keep talking about it but i have friends who, who love it and i'm just like i act i talk to them about it and they're like yeah this and this and this and i'm like okay great that's fine i i, I cannot i can't I, honestly man i feel bad because i think my job whether i'm writing or speaking on stages or, or creating shows and in this case with the book my job is to communicate in such a way that complexity becomes simplicity yes. and easy to so but 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 that i can only control that with my own work. So you're going to go over to Game of Thrones and be like, this is not as simple as Jay described it. No, 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 no. But the way that see, see, but, but like you normally do, you cut right to the crux of something, which now it, it gives me an entry point in that whole breaking the wheel. And I, because I know who that character is and I kind of know something about that. And you describing the, the scenario of what her kind of goal is. Like, I get it anyway. Spending way too much time on this. Um, <laughs> but that's the point is like, here's the thing. People get caught up, um, you know, like we were talking about where it's the year of, you know, where then it's like, oh, well, then 
if it's the year of podcasting, for example, which I've heard for, I, I mean, I don't know how many, I, I think we're in the sixth or seventh year of the podcast <laughs> now. Um, if you've been in any of those years and you've heard that and said, okay, now I need to do a podcast because everybody else is saying I need to do a podcast, then that's not a reason to do one. And, you nope. know, and that, and, and again, that's one of the things that we call into question on this show time and again is, when it comes to doing the right work and doing your best work, it's not about doing the same work as everybody else. It's about uniquely doing the stuff that you can only do. And so following the crowd <laughs> isn't going to make sense in this scenario. So I like that you're bringing up this idea of questioning best practices. And you're not saying best practices are bad. In fact, I think what's sneaky, almost in a cool strategy kind of way, is look at what the best practices are that are out there. Then question those because obviously they've worked for somebody at some point but that doesn't mean they're going to work for you but that doesn't mean that like flipping on flipping it on its head wouldn't work for you right it's not i'm not saying throw out a best practice like for example what if what if you could set up a filter around your brain where if you had an idea, your boss had an idea, your team, your client, or an expert, and by expert, I could mean an individual you like to follow, a person you hear on a podcast, or the past precedent of you know the expertise bottled up in your industry or company or, or job function. If you had this like filter wrapped around yourself and your team where you could easily vet which of those things make sense and to what degree in your unique situation, like you would make better decisions faster and you would be basing all of your decisions, not on the trend, not on the conventional wisdom, but on whatever works best for you. Because here's the thing, that's actually what matters in our work. <laughs> and we've gotten so far away from starting with our own context because it's so easy to just glom onto a trend or find a list of tips and tricks or, you know, we just, it's like, it's like going to, uh, uh, the eye doctor, you know, what we're doing, if we go to the eye doctor, if we act like we normally do it in business is we're just like, what is everybody else getting for their prescription and their, and their frames? I'll get that too. Whereas what we should be able to do is like hold one of those best practices up or hold one of our own ideas up and be like, number one or number two, number three or number four, like which of these things make the most possible sense for me. And even if nobody has selected that option, even if you're taking an unconventional path, if you know it works for your team and your audience and your customers and the resources that you're faced with every day, that's great. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter if you're doing something new or old or trendy or not trendy or you're launching a podcast or you think print is more favorable, whatever. The path doesn't matter. What matters is you find the best path for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I don't know, maybe this is a definition I can come up with here real quick, but a best practice is it's something that has worked for somebody at some point. But, you know, like we always talk about on this show, productivity is something that's personal. It's unique. It's, you know, it doesn't matter what apps or approaches somebody else is doing. You can take a look at what they're doing and say, sure, there may be some principles that apply universally or almost universally. But again, that doesn't mean that cookie cutter is going to work. It's not going to, you know, you can't just say, okay, uh, you know, I need this app and this notebook and this, you know, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and that I'm good to go. Like, it's just not that simple. And that's, again, I, I'm, it's a good thing that's not that simple. Otherwise, I wouldn't have a show. 
Right. We, we, we all we all want to do our best work and then we turn to best practices and we think it'll lead to this nice, neat curve, like growing exponentially in terms of our productivity or results or fulfillment or speed. And then what it actually looks like is is a line of progress that I would best describe with with this song. Ready? We just like keep swirling and and thrashing and grabbing at every new thing. Like, you know, it's like, is it this one? Nope. What about this one? No. How about that one? Nope. Still not the best. And it's like, what, we need to just get out of this endless cycle of all this stuff and start with a baseline understanding of our unique context. And that then provides the filter we need to really quickly and confidently, in other words, with clarity, make good decisions. So ultimately, this book is about how to make the best decision, not based on what works on average, not based on what works in general, but based on your unique situation. And by the way, as each situation changes, you can apply the same principles again and again that you can pull out from this book. So I want people to be basically like masters of decision-making in order to do their best work. That's a great way to put it. When you said masters of decision-making, my, my mind suddenly like flashed He-Man and master of the, of the universe for some reason. <laughs> anyway, you know, and then li- he lifts up the sword and says, I have the power and then to make decisions. Anyway, sorry. Uh, ADHD kicking in there. Um, one of the things then that kind of illustrates the fact that you're not saying throw out best practices is one of the common best practices for a book is to share stories in it that illustrate your point. And I, being a coffee lover, loved that you opened this up and it really kind of helps me enter into this decision-making mastery process when you talk about Death Wish Coffee. Yes, I love the I love this story. I love this brand, and uh, it it highlights the need to inform your decisions with the details of your own context first, best practices, trends, etc. Second, if at all. Um, so let me give the overview for people yeah. who are unfamiliar with this company because it's worth knowing about. So here you have this company that's that promotes itself as the world's strongest coffee. And actually this year, and I was able to sneak this detail into the book because it happened during the manuscript process, they sent their coffee to the International Space Station. So they're not actually the world's strongest coffee. They they joke that they're they're, they're now the galaxy's strongest coffee. But It all started with this decision that from the outside looking in seemed crazy if you know the convention in coffee and specifically what you should roast to create a great tasting brew. So, Eric, are you familiar with the two most common types of coffee beans in the world? Yes. And I knew this before I read the story in the book, but it's um, and I hope I say this right, but it's Arabica and Mm -hmm. Robusta. You got it. You nailed it. So Arabica is like 70% of the world's crop. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's in demand. It's very, very common in, the, in North America in particular because we drink coffee in what I'd call long drinks. Unlike in Italy where maybe you walk up to a counter, stay standing and shoot your espresso and leave. Right. We sit down. We like the exposed brick. You know, my millennial senses start tingling when I walk into a coffee shop, right? It's just like the culture we live in, especially people like us who are thinking about tech and productivity and social media, et cetera. So Arabica is it. It's the best practice because it's delicious. Robusta is really bitter and it's very, very potent. Uh, and it's really difficult to make a drink that tastes good, at least in terms of if you if your good means artisanal and floral and chocolatey, a.k.a. Arabica. So Mike Brown is the founder of Death Wish Coffee. But first, he'd started this little rinky-dink coffee shop in Saratoga Springs, New York. And he was 
struggling. He was doing everything in his power to tank the business. He was just grabbing at every trend and trying everything people said was a best practice. Um, and, and all the research he did to fix this business pointed to the same fatal flaw, which was he was roasting Robusta beans. And every expert was like, oh, my God, no, you need to roast Arabica. And then one day this truck driver came into his shop. It was like one of his very few customers. And he said, Mike, what's the strongest cup of coffee you can give me? And the guys, the guy said something that I think I'll, Mike will never forget, which is he wanted a strong and dark roast. So Eric, you, do you drink coffee regularly? Yeah. Okay. Do you drink, do you know what kind of roast dark, medium, light? Uh, usually lighter, medium. Okay. You might know this then as a, as a drinker of those blends, lighter coffee is traditionally more powerful. It has more caffeine. And we don't realize that because it's light, right? It, but it's light roast in that it hasn't been roasted as long. In, and that means it's retained more of its caffeine than if it was roasted to become darker. So Mike is like, all my research says, I can't give you a dark and strong roast at the same time, Mr. Truck Driver. And so he like did his best, poured a cup of coffee, and the guy left. And he kept hearing this request, strong and dark, strong and dark, over and over again. And he realized, well, these people are truck drivers and construction workers and blue-collar workers. They're working at the racetracks in Saratoga Springs. And he's like, well, they're not looking for coffee to be artisanal or like a sit-down experience. They're working insanely hard. In other words, they don't want more caffeine, they want the ability to work themselves to death, <laughs> right? So, so that's exactly what he started to sell. He switched from this best practice, Arabica, and chose with total clarity, in logical fashion, something that seemed crazy to others, I'm going to roast Robusta because it loses less caffeine. It starts with more caffeine content. In fact, an average cup of Robusta has 83% more caffeine than an average cup of Arabica. And so he built this like radical product in the minds of the experts but to him it was strategic and logical and the difference is he focused on his context first these customers and what they wanted in his situation and the best practice actually did not apply even though arguably it was the most common best practice and suddenly this little shop that he was struggling to uh build became death wish coffee and this massive global brand and they've they've run super bowl ads and they're all over social media with almost a million followers across channels and people just adore this brand and they look like rebels and it seems like he did something nuts but it's only crazy from the outside looking in until you understand his context. So my thesis, Eric, is that if we focus more of our time and effort and decision making on our context, in other words, the unique and firsthand information of our situation, we will make better decisions than any best practice or generality can provide. Yeah, that's exactly right. And again, it's that unique uh, and I think you even refer to it this way at some other places or uh, definitely in your newsletter where you talk about having this unfair advantage. Um, his unfair advantage was he realized his audience was not going to come to him for something that tasted good and was a sit down, sip it and enjoy it type of coffee, which again is the best practice. It's the mass media. It's the, you know, commonplace again. It's, it's the normal, it's status quo. In other it's words, it's status quo. A hundred percent. It's status and, quo. And they needed a, <laughs> for their lifestyle, they needed a caffeine delivery system. And that was it. And so he could lean into that and do something that was contrary to the best practice and totally buck the system. 
And what's amazing is, you know, not only does it affect the product, that one decision, that insight about the customer, you know, the unfair advantage, it, it affects their marketing. Their, their logo is like jet black and blood red. It's not our, it's not all these like flowery colors and, you know, parchment paper and, and papyrus fonts of most coffee shops, <laughs> right? It's, it's dark. It's aggressive. Um, their social media, they, they, on Instagram, they share motivational quotes like any other brand. But even in that one specific instance, they break from the norm because they do anti-motivational quotes. Like uh, one of my favorites is, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe coffee is addicted to me? Or uh, if I gave up coffee, I'd have to take up murder. Like that that's what they do. And it's oh, not man. because they're just they're not just trying to be rebels without a cause. They're rebels if you know the status quo only, or if you don't know their context. But in their situation, everything they're doing is strategic, logical, even safe. And so I ha- all the all the stories in the book, whether it's Deathwish Coffee or Starbucks, solo creators or startups, these companies, these individuals do work that seems crazy. Uh, it all stems from my podcast called Unthinkable, actually. All those stories, just like the book, are stories of work that seems crazy until you understand their specific context. That's always the difference. And I think it should be the difference in how we make good decisions or bad ones. We should start with our context first. And the book proposes how to go about doing that. So this idea of mastering decision-making, starting with questioning the best practices, but then moving into this idea of honing your intuition. And for a lot of people, the word intuition is kind of a vague term. Yeah. What is your definition of what intuition is? It's not my definition. It's it's the definition. And, and we go through a brief jaunt through history to see how this term has become twisted and, and repurposed or rejected. Um, but if you go back to its root, like the root of the word in Latin is intuere, which just means to consider. And there's another interpretation from late Middle English, which is intuit, which means to contemplate. So So follow me through this logic. If we want to do our best work and usually turn to best practices, but best practices don't take into account details in our context, what do we have to get better at doing considering our context and the skill that we have that we all actually possess to consider our environment is called intuition, but we ignore it. And and that's a mistake because if you look at the actual research psychology, the science, not like Greek poetry and looking for the muse, but you actually look at the science, which I do in the book, intuition is this very real and practical skill set we have. It's just that we push it aside, or we look at the people who have already mastered the skill and we're like, it seems instant and magical and subconscious to them, so we can't do that. But really, we can hone that skill to consider our environment, in other words, hone our intuition, with one very simple change. Instead of obsessing over everybody else's right answers, we need to ask better questions. And if we can ask better questions, Eric, all of a sudden we stop looking like experts who care about absolutes or theory, and we start to prioritize evidence. And evidence is all that really matters. If you want to be more productive in your day, should you care about inbox zero? I don't know. I I don't have enough evidence about your life to say yes or no. If I say yes, then I'm saying it based on my evidence from my life, but we're not the same. The subtle differences between you and me make all the difference in the world, and the only way to root those out is to ask better questions. So what is intuition, honestly? It's the process of considering your environment, and that might start slowly and proactively by strategically asking better questions, uh, six of which I propose in the book, but it also might become instant the more and more you do that because it becomes like muscle memory. It just becomes how you operate. The way you hone it 
is by using it, right? It's like a muscle. We're going to take a quick break to say thank you to our sponsors for making this episode possible. We've got a new sponsor this week, M. Jemmy. M. Jemmy is a luxury Italian footwear market where the shoes are made in the very same Italian workshops as other European luxury brands using that same material or better and that same craftsmanship. They were founded by a small team of friends and family, and they have headquarters in both America and Italy, and they have close partnerships with family-owned Italian workshops. So there's this permeation of family, not only throughout the company, but with the employees, as well as the customers, everybody's family when it comes to M. Jemmy. And you can see this in the way that they relate to their customers. They want to make sure that they love the shoes no matter what. And that shows in the way that they do client service, or they have these fit specialists that work with you to give you personalized style recommendations and make sure that the shoes fit you perfectly. Shipping is complimentary, and returns and exchanges are free and easy. And when I got my pair, I'm, I'm very much a sneaker kind of a person. I like to wear something that's comfortable, that's, uh, that feels like I'm wearing a sneaker at most times. Well, the great thing about M. Jemmy is they've, they've got that covered from the packaging and the unboxing through to the fit and feel of the material, not only in my hand, but then on my feet, as well as then the way that they look. Even just a regular pair of jeans and a nice button-down polo shirt with these sneakers that are luxurious sneakers suddenly made it look as if I was still very much casual, but a level or two higher up professionally for me to feel more confident and walk into somewhere where I wouldn't want to just look scroungy. So I wanted, I would want to look more professional and shoes of all things, shoes make that difference. I've been thoroughly impressed with them. And the cool thing is they've got new seasonal collections four times a year, but not only that, they have new limited edition shoes every single Monday. They call this the Monday drop. It's pretty impressive. And by the way, these sneakers aren't something that, again, in a year, I'm going to replace. These are high quality, made from high quality material. And again, they're made in that old way of something that you spend a little bit more money on, but then in the long run are spending less money on for multiple pairs over years that I would have worn instead of these. Ultimately, you've got to see for yourself how amazing the shoes are at M. Jemmy. Go to mjemmy.com slash beyond for $50 off your first pair. That's the letter M, G-E-M-I dot com slash beyond for $50 off your first pair. Again, that's M-G-E-M-I dot com slash beyond. M. Jemmy, it's Italian luxury, made the old way and sold the new way. This episode is also brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission-free. Robinhood's mission is to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's an easy and non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. And it's simple and intuitive. They've, the app has a clear design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. I've loved being inside the app and looking at all the different stocks and looking at the ups and downs. I've never been really a stock market person. I just, I just haven't been. As soon as Apple allowed us to delete the stocks app from iOS, I did. But I've gotten interested in it 
And I've been looking at different companies and comparing them inside of the Robinhood app, where again, there's no commission fees. Other brokerages are charging up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood, they don't charge commission fees and you can trade your stocks and keep all of your profits. And as I've been in the app, it's just got this ease of use thing. It really only takes four taps in a smartphone to place a trade. And the other cool thing about the layout of the app is that you can view stock collections, which is a way to switch between, say, 100 most popular, or you can easily look up entertainment or social media ones. Because my day job has to do with social media, I've been looking at all the different stocks for the different social media companies. You can even look at curated categories like female CEOs, and you can even get analyst ratings where it's a a buy, a hold, or a sell for every one of these stocks. And the cool thing is about being inside the app is that you can learn by doing. You can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. You can discover new stocks. You can track favorite companies even with a personalized news feed. That's been fun setting up. And you can get custom notifications for price movements. So you're not going to miss when it's the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. You can sign up at todolist.robinhood.com. That's todolist.com. Robinhood.com. One of the ways I think that you kind of are portraying questioning best practices is secretly and subtly, you're really saying, hey, ask better questions. 100%. The, the, the thing that I think we misconstrue, like we, when I say somebody thinks for themselves, we think of a genius like Albert Einstein or a rebel, Johnny Cash, or, or what we view as Death Wish Coffee. Uh, we think of an inspiring voice like Maya Angelou, or maybe we think of like that weirdo who makes like who paints frogs on reclaimed wooden tables in some weird part of town like that. that you know, that old career path, Eric. Like we, we think of all these radicalized people when we think that somebody thinks for themselves. But, but thinking for yourself is very practical. It's a it's a necessary thing to do if we're going to do our best work. And and the change is rather simple. It's it's just stop obsessing and starting your process with someone else's answer. Start by asking better questions. And then in the book, we go through this journey to be like, okay, so what are we asking the questions about in our lives, in our environment? What are the types of questions we can ask? ask, and I talk about two, and then I propose six specific questions and encourage others to come up with their own. And it, in doing so, we set up this like instant clarity generator, right? It's like if you ask these questions, if you know the answers alone or with your teams, you set up that filter I talked about at the top of the show, right? It's your intuition at work. It's like, well, I understand my context. I've considered my environment. So now all those best practices, they stop looking like answers. And start looking like possibilities. And I can very quickly vet those possibilities in my situation. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I love that. Again, you're not just saying, you know, buck the system, throw out the old way, it's time for the new way. Because again, that's really what everybody who's going with the flavor of the month is doing. It's actually a way to circumvent that. And like you said, it's breaking the wheel. Now that I understand what the reference means, I get it even more. <laughs> so um, it, it's it's doing away with the whole cycle and system of being stuck on, you know, like you said, each spoke coming up and being the next one. It's not about what the next one is. It's about what the right one is for you. And for a lot of us, that's stepping outside of the whole system completely, though not completely. Um, ignoring the past we have to look at you know 
I mean, this is one of the things that I really kind of admired. It's one of the few things I did admire, you know, a lot about, for example, Steve Jobs is he didn't ignore what everybody else was doing, but he decided that he was going to do his own thing. I mean, he was, I mean, he's one of the ones where I think of when you talk about the whole, like, he's not the guy over in the corner or in the, in the town painting frogs. He's the guy who's super successful, but he's doing the exact same thing. He's doing his own thing. He just has, you know, this incredible amount of resource and, uh, you know, design team behind him. I talk about first principle thinking a lot in the book. In other words, if you can actually reach the fundamental why behind something, you know, a really good example is the death wish example The the customer didn't want stronger coffee. They didn't want more caffeine. They didn't really even want more energy. They wanted the ability to work insanely hard, perhaps even work themselves metaphorically to death. Yeah. So, so that's exactly what Mike addresses and the death wish team addresses in their marketing and their product, everything in the brand they chose. Uh, and built. And it's not because they're just bucking the trend for the sake of it. The reason they're bu- they have bucked the trend is they followed this evidence in their context that took them away from the trend. Some other bits of evidence might actually steer into the expert advice. And actually, Mike did that too. So before he launched Death Wish, he was selling, and this is crazy, 25, I think it was 25 types of coffee and like different blends mm-hmm. and then and this is truly nuts 200 types of candy at, at a single location brick and mortar coffee shop 200 types of candy and when he started to try and build the world's strongest coffee his expert the experts he reached said you got to stop selling all those different types of products you're like it's you're, it's overwhelming your inventory and you're you're spending too much money on the marketing and it's, it's just not going to work and then he went back home and he said you know what actually that expert advice does make sense because in my context, I'm trying to create the world's strongest coffee. So I know my aspiration. So that means, yeah, actually this approach given to me by an expert, I will say yes to even while he said no to Arabica, which was another best practice. So again, I'm not saying be a rebel for rebellion's sake. I'm saying start with what's right in front of you. Act like an investigator instead of an expert and the details of your own environment will ne- necessarily lead you forward. And who cares if that forward means going with the trend or against it, as long as it works for you. I love the other part, though, that, that comes after that is once he's scaled back and once he kind of knows what he's honing in onto, that he's selling like one bag of coffee a month. And then well, what, I, like what I love about that is slowly it, from there. Yeah, it, it, he he stopped looking for results and started looking for signal of results. And he did that with something I thought was really genius, which was, and actually this is not unique to Mike, it seems to be a trend in the book, which is um, when you start looking for signal of results, instead of looking for metrics, like uh, you know a big top line number that says, okay, this test worked better than the norm, implement the rest of it. He looked for a small number of people reacting in a big emotional way. And, and we overlook that in our work way too often, whether we're being self-reflecting and we're like, I implemented this new approach for my workflow and I feel really happy at work. We overlook that. We look at the output, the number of projects, the number of things we ship, whatever, the hours that feel more efficient. We, we undervalue the emotional response that either we have to our own work or that our audience has to our work in favor of this like big top line passive number. But it turns out if you start with resonance, you start with that visceral reaction or what I call in the book, true believers, 
slowly by slowly, you can like test your way in the right direction for you. And this is particularly important if you identify that the path you're taking has no precedent, has no case study, is not the best practice or norm. So with Mike, he stopped looking for success and started making learning the goal and he got greater success. Yeah, see, and so he was following, uh, you know, first off, he, by getting rid of stuff and then, uh, you know, moving down the path that you were talking about just then, he's honing his intuition. Bit by bit, his intuition is becoming, uh, again, a stronger bicep muscle, so to speak, in his mind. Right. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, what, it, what it has to do with is there's, so I, I, part of the book explores the psychological barriers to making good decisions that try, and I try to explain you know, why do we so commonly make decisions by either looking at the conventional wisdom or jumping onto the new trend or many of us, even though we might not admit it, we make decisions by thrashing, right? We just decide we're going to do everything and anything, you know, in marketing, we're going to be on Twitter. We're also going to be on Snapchat because our boss emailed us in a panic. Hey, what's our Snapchat strategy? And I have no idea, but, but then Instagram gets bought by Facebook and they start copying Snapchat. So we're also going to be on Instagram, but then email marketing is so crucial. And then here comes voice and it's like, Hey Alexa, please punch me in the face. There are real psychological reasons that we behave that way. You know, it's not just, but my boss, but my resources, because that's how we do things around here. You can find the reason we do the things we're doing because that's how we do things around here. You know what I mean? Like, and so in this, in the book, we go through the psychological traits that we exhibit. And if you can diagnose the illness, so to speak, it's a lot easier to then build back up a solution that addresses the illness instead of a symptom. And so when we talk about making good decisions, we talk about trusting our intuition or following details from our context, we're doing so as a remedy for what plagues us at work. You know, we make decisions a certain way and we have to break that pattern to become those consummate investigators instead. It sounds so hard because we're using phrases like intuition, investigator, expert, you know, best practices. But really, it's like you said, the muscle memory, it starts slowly. It's asking better questions and it's most importantly pointing those questions at the right elements of your context, which I'm happy to go into, but that is key is not just like, I'm going to question everything. No, it's strategically asking really good questions, open ended questions that prompt an investigation or a test into the elements of your situation. Yeah. And I really like that because, you know, most of us who've been in, I don't know, the online business world slash marketing world, we hear all of this, you know, we, one, we hear about, for example, there's a thing that's thrown around a lot that's called, you know, don't trust vanity metrics. And that's, that's easy. That's simple. That, that makes sense. That's a first step towards starting to dig down deeper into things, you know, and, and for people well, that don't know. But, but hold on though, like, like vanity metrics, like views and shares, and even to a certain extent, like blog subscribers or podcast subscribers, I agree. Like if, don't trust vanity metrics. The implication there is if you're trying to drive revenue, right? They're like, that's a proxy for revenue and it's distant. There's a lot of things in between. But but hold on, like saying don't trust vanity metrics is in and of itself a generality. And so, you know, it's like my dad likes to say all statements are generalities, including this one. Yes. Uh, so like th get more specific. If you're selling software, maybe you don't obsess over vanity metrics, but like you can look at them, look at them as a signal, you know, look at when I launch a podcast episode, if I get 12 emotional emails about like why it was such a great story, 
that's a vanity metric, really. But I'm using that as signal. It's like um, if you're looking for treasure on the beach and you get that little beep with your metal detector, you're not there on the beach to find beeps. But the beep is a signal you should invest more in that spot. So this is like a nuanced approach to decision making in this frenetic world, which we're, you know, whether it's the news cycle or the decisions at work, we've kind of lost the ability to grasp nuance. And so what I'm trying to do is let's instill some of that back in the way we make decisions. The goal isn't to glom on to somebody's pithy statement or a best practice. The goal is to do what works best for you. That's a really nuanced way to operate, but we can get good at that as a, as a repetitive motion, as a way we operate instead of how we usually make decisions. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, and I'm glad you cut me off then because I, you know, again, one of those things, it, it you get so used to hearing the same things over and over again that you start to think that even some of those very simple just swatting away of certain ideas to funnel you to funnel you away over into something else like you know again the don't trust vanity metrics thing is usually as set up to say look at the data well vanity the metrics a vanity quote a vanity metric stuff that gets lumped into that is also data Right. Well, so this is a great example of where we can start to ask the two types of questions that I illuminate in the book. So uh, they work in tandem. There's something called a trigger question and then a confirmation question. So if we're going to ask better questions in our context and we're going to act like investigators, there are two types of questions we can ask. So a trigger question is an open-ended question about your environment that only the only way to answer this is through reflection or testing. You know, a really simple example is why. Um, but you can't Google the answer, right? It's so here's an example, vanity metrics. Well, why shouldn't we trust vanity metrics as let's say a podcaster, Eric? Um, okay, well downloads are actually a vanity metric. Why are downloads a poor and a vanity metric? Because it just means the file was taken offline. It doesn't mean people listen to it. Yeah, it's not a li- so, it, it doesn't, it means somebody bought it. It doesn't mean they actually didn't just return it right back to the store. Right, right, right. So good, good analogy. So our goal isn't to get people to download the file. Our goal is to get people to listen, right? Well, why are listens if you can measure it at vanity metric? Well, because what's a listen? Is it three seconds? Is it three minutes? Like it's kind of squishy. Nobody really knows. Like what do you really want is for people to complete the episode or at least to have a good experience through however many minutes they complete. So, okay, well now here's another vanity metric. It's not downloads. It's the emotional response of a small number of people. Also a vanity metric. So should I write off vanity metrics? Uh, Maybe. Maybe I should write off downloads. But the other vanity metric of emotional responses I get about my podcast, that actually might be a better, quote, vanity metric because it's a better signal than downloads of what we really want, which is actual listens. It's really hard to get somebody to respond in a few paragraphs telling you why they like the episode when they haven't actually listened to the episode, right? right? But if you're just looking at downloads, that could be the case. So so a trigger question is why? And then the confirmation question is, well, how do we know, right? And so what I do in the book is I propose three pairs of trigger questions and confirmation questions. Confirmation questions just ensure that you're on the right path, that your investigation has actually pulled out evidence. So trigger questions launch your investigation. They're open-ended. They require you to start asking questions and reflect and test, while a confirmation question is saying, how do we know? Did we ensure we actually picked up real evidence? And so if you use those two types of questions in tandem, all of a sudden, you start to chip away at any answer you're handed. By the way, 
That includes answers that I give away in the book because what I what I challenge people to do is question everything yes. and know the right places to question these things and not trust other people blindly. I love that. Uh, and especially the fact that you de- do that in your own book is like, wait, hey, <laughs> you don't have to trust me. It's it's the whole LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow, if you're familiar with it. You don't have to take my word for it. Uh I love that we've mentioned Game of Thrones. I know. We've mentioned He-Man. We mentioned LeVar Burton. This is the nerdiest and you, most wonderful interview ever. You, you can tell that I myself am a child of the '80s, where, uh, of course, the 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 what you call it doesn't fit in that the the uh, Game of Thrones. But sure. yeah, man, I this is one of those things that's it's it's hard for people to get their head around because it's not some easy quick fix like principle to just say oh okay i get it question you know they will a lot of people will hear what we're talking about and they will say oh okay i need to question everything and that's not what you're saying but that's on the surface level what people will hear this is much more of a shift slash not even a shift it's kind of a it's a Gosh, I'm trying to think of what the right metaphor would be. It's 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 almost a recalibrating and a well, I guess the word is honing. You've got that in the title. Honing really is it. It's turning away from the old way of doing things in some senses. Uh but then it is turning towards the new path and then honing your way down that way into mastery, especially of this this decision-making process. And I mean, this is one of those things where I mean, I probably need to reread the book. Now that I've had the conversation with you, because I think that I got most of it, but there's so, there's a whole other level of quote getting it that could be gotten. Jeez, that's so <laughs> I love that. That was such you a know? that was such a you stuck the the landing the the verbal gymnast move that you just pulled off. <laughs> thanks, thanks. So you know, this is one of those things. I mean, I really think that. Gosh, if if you're a person who really wants to learn to hone your thinking skills, but specifically your decision-making skills, because again, when it comes to specifically productivity, which again, that's what we've been talking about this whole time, really. It's just, there are a lot of different definitions for what productivity is, but really it's about getting to, it's, it's about getting the results that you ultimately want out of life and out of your business, et cetera. And it takes all these different turns and uh, all these different uh, aspects to it working in tandem to make something come out that way. And this is uh, an overarching approach that if you were to take it, it could change the way that you're really looking at everything. I mean, this this could change the way that you look at how you're doing your email or how you're doing your social media strategy or how you are doing your your health. In other words, there's it, it, this applies to a, so many different things. Well, what what if you could make better decisions faster? That that's a core yes. question I asked before writing this book. The other question I asked or the other kind of impetus to write the book is there is plenty of advice Plenty of insight, plenty of courses and modules and whatever to get you from zero to five, to get you right at average, like best practices, expertise, how to do the thing that is now table stakes because you can access it in a blink of an eye and more pours out onto the Internet every day. So how do you go from five to ten? How do you push beyond the average and the status quo and the commodity work and actually do something exceptional. And so if you're content to be like, you know what, just hand me the answer. I want this thing to be done. Then this book might not be for you or this book is for other choices you're making 
where, you know, I like to say some people, sometimes you just need directions. Just like here's the step by step from getting to where you are to where you want to travel to. Um, sometimes you need a map. You're like, I don't know where we're going to go exactly, but I'd like to see all the different options. What this book is, is a compass, right? It's like, let's set your true north. Let me show you how the compass works. And then in any scenario you enter, you're going to be able to navigate it. And you're going to be able to do so with clarity and confidence. In other words, you're going to make the best decision for you, regardless of what everyone else says. And so the, like, I think you need, sometimes you need all three of those things. But I think the most fundamental and I think the most transformative and the most powerful is, of course, the compass. And so that's what I'm trying to provide people is, you know, you're not going to find one simple secret. You're not going to find my seven-step plan. You're going to find six fundamental questions that you need to go and answer alone or with your team. But hopefully that gets you enough of the way there. That's like saying here's north, south, east, and west, that when you find what your version of those things are, what your answers to these six questions are, now you have this like decision-making operating system and you can start to make better decisions faster. Dang, you're good. Jeez. Like the, the, the directions, the map and the compass thing resonates really deeply with me. And you may have just helped me plot a path forward with just that example, uh, for this podcast in and of itself. So I owe you. It's <laughs> <laughs> so nice to hear. Thank you. Oh gosh. Uh Jay, it's it's awesome talking with you. I mean, I really do think th yeah, this book may not be for everyone, but I think it really should be for everyone, unfortunately, whether they like it or not. Uh it's brand new. I mean, it's just out October 1st. So it's out. So it's out now. Yeah. yeah. So okay. So I I yeah, I thought so. So the book is out now and People can order it now. They can receive it now. I mean, they could instantly go grab it on like Kindle or whatever. But like, you know, is there any, you know, early bird? Like, I mean, there usually people do pre-orders. I know the book's out already. But is there any kind of like place where people can like go dig in more and find out if this book is for them? Yes. So jayaconzo.com slash book. You're going to find three things. You're going to find more context that just describes the book. And if you go to the blog link at the top, you'll also find a lot of writing pulled from the book. But also on that book page, you're going to find quotes and ideas from some of the better thinkers that I, I think I was able to reach and interview, including Mike Brown from Death Wish, but a lot of others across lots of sectors. And then, and we're on a show about productivity, um, I actually, I had the same routine to write the book. And most powerfully, I had this playlist that I've been building since college for doing deep work. And I was like, you know what? I listened to this every time I wrote the book. I actually published a link to the Spotify playlist and then built a second one that wasn't for deep work, but for motivation. So I put those playlists uh, linked from the book site. So that's jayaconzo.com slash book. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to go check those out and add those. Uh, Jay, it's been awesome talking with you. I'm going to have to have you back on the show at some point in the near future to maybe dive even deeper into this, maybe with some people's questions when it comes to this. So uh, that would be awesome. Jay, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. And to people listening, I know how much it takes up your time to listen to an entire podcast episode. So as a podcaster myself, thank you for your attention and thanks for listening. So my takeaway from this conversation with Jay is this is a very much a, a hand in hand. This is very much a hand in hand conversation combination, even uh, with the other Jay episode recently, Jay Bear and Jay Acunzo, two of my favorite business guys, to be honest. Um, the strategy, the thought process, the mastering decision making, the 
analyzing, but being able to become quicker at making decisions and making the right decisions and even trial and error. All of this is something that I'm not necessarily going to have a quick, easy takeaway from other than I'm going back through the books again, myself personally. So if you want to grab the book, you can go to beyond the to do list.com slash two, four, six. That's where you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to find out more about Jay, to connect with him, to check out his podcast, grab the book, dive deep into it, and master your decision-making. While you're there, you can check out the sponsors for this episode. Jemmy. again, you've got to see how amazing these shoes are. And you can get $50 off by going to mgemi.com slash beyond. Again, that's $50 off your first pair. Again, go to mgemi.com, M-G-E-M-I.com slash beyond. These are going to actually be perfect for you if you're a business person who wants to dress well, but dress casually, wants to have something that's luxury, but not going to break the bank. Again, it's luxury made in that old way, but sold in that new way. Again, check them out, mgemi.com slash beyond. And Robinhood, again, they're giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. And you can sign up at todolist.robinhood.com. That's todolist.robinhood.com. Thanks again to our sponsors for making this episode possible. And thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you got something great out of this episode. And I've got some great ones coming up, planning ahead for episode 250 coming up very soon. If you enjoyed this conversation, I'd love it if you'd hit share while you're over there on the show notes for this episode. And if this is your first episode, subscribe. We've got lots of stuff in the back catalog, lots of great stuff coming, and I will see you next episode. Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.